If you're grateful for God and his presence, come on, put your hands together. Give him a wave offering, a clap offering. to the Gospel of Luke. Always grateful to stand in front of my family. Grateful for the angel, my shepherd, one of my closest friends. So grateful to him and how God is using him. And it's an honor and privilege to serve under you. It's an honor and privilege to serve all of you here at Transformation Christian Fellowship. Amen. <laughs> you guys are funny. Shout out to OG. I know he's not here, but he blazed last Sunday. So can we give a shout out to him? We love you, OG. And um, thank you for setting me up. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. I'm starting at verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Um, I had a title, but um, I want to change it. Um, I want to title this message, Once in a Lifetime. Once in a Lifetime. We've been in a message series entitled Divine Interruptions. Um, it's been very interesting revisiting the Nativity account and then revisiting it and looking through it through this perspective. I never would have thought of the nativity account um, as divine interruptions. And I think that the key to understanding this premise of divine interruption is really understanding what Pastor Brandon talked about, the intertestamental period. How in Malachi, this is literally the last thing the prophet Malachi spoke through, uh, spoke through God to the people. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with the curse. Period. And then for 400 years, 
nothing. No, no, no prophetic word, no angelic visitations. God is not speaking, but he's not inactive. And then we come to Luke chapter one, where we were about two weeks ago. And an angel of the Lord appears to Zacharias after 400 years of no communication, appears to Zacharias, the first one. And this is what he tells Zacharias. You and your wife, Elizabeth, are going to bear a son, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he tells Zacharias, your child will go before Christ and prepare the way. But in these 400 years, he's been preparing the way himself for the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. And so here we are in Luke chapter 2. Right now, Caesar Augustus has issued a decree that a census be taken, that everybody must be registered. I mean, everybody has to go back to their hometown to register. So Joseph and Mary, already betrothed, already engaged, heads to the city of David because he is of the lineage of David. And so he goes back to the city of David, Bethlehem, to register. And while there, Mary gives birth to Jesus Christ, fulfilling, fulfilling what was told that he will be born in the city of David. And here we are in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Here we have, it says, in the same region, the same region, where Mary and Joseph just gives birth, just gave birth to the Son of God, there were some shepherds. Now, to really, um, really appreciate this account of the shepherds, you know, I don't know about you, but I was a shepherd boy in a Christmas play once ago. You know, and um, I, I used to be a shepherd boy, you know, um, they picked the finest girl to be Mary, you know what I'm saying, and then, you know, they found her crush, whoever she liked in church. That was Joseph, you know what I'm saying? There's no kissing in this play. But <laughs> so we had Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and um, to really understand the significance of the shepherds, you have to really dive into who wrote this gospel, and that's Luke. Um, not much is known about Luke, um, but we know two things. He's a physician. Um, if you ever read the introduction to Luke and Acts, I mean, this is an educated brother, you know. <laughs> he's very, he's very detailed, very detail-oriented. He's very analytical. Um, as most scientists are. And so he wrote the book of Acts, wrote the book, book of Luke, and then also what's known about Luke is not only his physician, um, but what I came to find out is that Luke is a Gentile. He's a non-Jew. Now, why is this so significant to the account of the shepherds? Come with me to the verse in Colossians. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And then after that, he goes on to list three more names, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. He says, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are the only men of the circumcision who are among my fellow workers. The men of the circumcision is referring to the Jewish Christians, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, but they are Jews. He specifically mentions that these are the Jewish ones. These are the only three Jewish ones because at the time, Paul is in Roman prison, and there are a lot of Jewish Christians up in the camp, but he's like, these are the only three brothers that are sticking by me. And so he goes to specifically say, these are the three, the only three Jewish Christians up in the camp who are standing by me to proclaim the gospel of the Lord. Everybody else? 
According to Philippians, they're out here preaching the gospel out of envy and strife, thinking to cause me affliction. And Paul's just like, y'all not doing enough for me. The gospel's being preached, so go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead with your bad self. You know what I'm saying? But he's making a mention of saying these are the only three Jewish brothers coming to work with me. This is the premise for why most scholars and why I strongly believe that Luke was a Gentile. Because if he was a Jew, look at this. Without that connotation that he wrote, he's just listing people that have worked with him. But he went to great lengths to emphasize that these were the only Jewish brothers because of two things. He wanted to serve notice to everybody that just because we all have one ancestry don't mean that everybody is for you. You know what I'm saying? Family, friend, or foe, or ancestry. So that's the first reason. And then number two, he wants to show the church in Colossae that not every Jew is out here trying to force you to be circumcised in order to be saved. That there are actually Jews out here who are partnering with me in the sharing of the gospel that really want to include you in the fold. But Luke is listed after. Paul knew Luke. Luke was actually a disciple of Paul. He walked with Paul. He was a co-laborer with Paul. Paul knew Luke. So all in my study, people's like, I don't believe this is a good enough basis. He's not writing from a place that he does not know. This is personal experience. So if Luke was a Jew, he would have been included in that. So this is why I believe. Now, I encourage you, go study the word, do your own research, amen. But this is why I, this is why I believe <laughs> that he's a Gentile. Why is this so important? Luke's gospel is the gospel that focuses on how the gospel is for everybody. And his ancestry as a Gentile is emphasized through that because even though he's educated, even though he's a physician, because he's a Gentile, he would know what it's like to be on the outside, to not experience the same privileges as the Jews. And so how Luke's gospel is different is because throughout his gospel, you will see him emphasizing God using people that the society has casted away. He emphasizes how God is using him to carry out his purposes, women, children, social outcasts. And this is how we get to the shepherds. People who general rabbinic Jewish sources will say that shepherds were, I mean, dirty, not that popular, you know, didn't have a lot of social status. I mean, I mean, you didn't really, to be honest, you don't even need Jewish sources. These shepherds, they hung out with sheep in the farm, (laughs) taking care of sheep, washing them, you know what I'm saying, making sure that they're in the fold, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not... It's not a sexy job. Come on, somebody. It's not a job that looks good. You know what I'm saying? You got to get down and dirty to take care of the sheep. And so Luke goes through great emphasis. The account of the shepherds is only in the gospel of Luke. I believe he emphasizes this part of the nativity story. See, out of the gospels, only two of them mention the birth of Jesus. Matthew talks about the Magi. Luke talks about the gospel. I believe Luke mentions him. He wants to take time because he wants people to know. He's writing to Theophilus. He's writing to let him know, like, this gospel that he's coming to share is not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. And how God, in his sovereignty, would even use people that people have casted out to carry out his plan. Now, he says... Back to um, the first couple verses. And there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, and an angel suddenly stood before them. Now, I was going through my research. People were just like, yeah, it's just crazy how God would appear, how the angel of the Lord concerning the announcement of the birth of the Messiah would appear to the shepherds first. But if you've been paying attention since Genesis, 
This is not the first time that God has had a divine encounter with a shepherd. Abraham, <laughs> leave your family and your home country and come to a land which I will show you. Moses appears in the field while he's taking care of the sheep. In his father-in-law's field, saying, you shall be the deliverer to Israel. Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. David sends the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem and says, anoint that one right there. The one that was out there taking care of the sheep. That's the one. So what this shows us is that we have such pea-sized brains to assume that God will only use people of royal status that we created to carry out his purposes. But since Genesis, he's been using shepherds. I don't find it a coincidence that he would call shepherds to go then what and be the father of all nations, to go what and be deliverer and the leader of the nation of Israel, to then what? To be the king of Judah. Because even though Abraham, Moses, and David all made their mistakes, God saw that if you can be faithful over sheep, if you can get down and dirty and take care of them and wash them and cleanse them, I can trust you to lead nations. So there's no, shouldn't be any surprise why he would choose a shepherd as the first recipient of the gospel because he's been doing it already. He's already been doing it. And not only that, God is a shepherd. So not, not only did he call shepherds, but he can identify with the shepherds out in the fields because he is a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, he says, Ezekiel, speak against these so-called shepherds that I have charged to take care of my people, yet they are feeding themselves. These shepherds are going around wandering. Their wounds have not been patched. They have not been healed. They're not taking care after them. I will go myself and bring them back to the fold. Everybody wants to be a pastor. The translation for pastor in the Latin is shepherd. So it's not just you going to preach at churches. This is a dirty job. It's not a sexy job. God has charged you to watch over the souls of his people. And so what trips me out is, is everybody fiending for the position. But nobody has the heart. Correction. There are people who have the heart. But the ones who have the fart, excuse me, the heart, excuse me. <laughs> the fart, right? <laughs> Some of them, there are ones who have the heart, but they're not being blasted on social media. They're out there in their field serving faithfully. We get mad because I can't take pictures with my favorite apostle. I can't take pictures with my favorite bishop. I got to go to this conference and that conference and all of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. But the work of a shepherd, it's easy to take photographs. But when you get late night phone calls asking, can you pray for me? When you got to go and meet somebody up and cover them in prayer. When you got to disciple them and walk them through deliverance. Who's trying to do that work? We should not be surprised that the first announcement of the birth 
of a shepherd. Because in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. (laughs) He said, a hired hand does not care for them. They're only in it for the money. Some of them are only in it for the validation. Some are only in it so they can be seen. But he says, a hired hand lets wolves come in and take and wound my sheep. But he says, a true shepherd has a heart and protects them and risks his life for the shepherds, for the sheep. The birth of a shepherd, the announcement of a shepherd goes to a group of shepherds. at the Silver Spring Civic Building. It is going to be crazy. It's going to be bananas. You got to get here. This is our city, Silver Spring. We in the morning. It's going to be crazy. Transformation starts here. Register now. Click the link in the bio for your free ticket. Be here Vision Sunday 2020. Group of shepherds. Why do we think that, you know, a lot of people, I, I did my research, they would say, yeah, shouldn't an announcement like this go to a king? Because of my position, I deserve to receive a message such as this. Isaiah chapter 7, there was a man named King Ahaz. He got a word from Isaiah. When his kingdom was getting attacked, Isaiah told him, don't fear. God's going to protect you. He didn't listen. He didn't believe. He went inside it with Assyria. And so after Assyria destroyed the two nations, Assyria turned on him. King Herod heard news about a king. And tried to kill him. <laughs> Zacharias, someone who knows God, stood in the temple. And when Gabriel told him you was having a child, he says, how can I be certain? Yet we have someone like Rahab, a prostitute, a social outcast, who had more faith to believe what God did for them in Egypt than God's own people. What am I trying to tell you? That it does not matter what your position is. Your response to his word will show how much you truly believe. Because King Ahaz got a prophetic word. Zacharias got a word from an angel. Uh, All these people getting words. But your response to it will show if you truly believe. Rahab was an outcast when she told the spies, I heard, I heard the word that your God delivered you from Egypt, and I know that he's giving you this land. But she had more faith than an entire generation that died off. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what your status is. When he interrupts your day and delivers the word, He is irrespective of persons. He can give words to kings and people who are lowly, irrespective of who you are and what people call you and deem you. Your response to the word will show whether or not you believe. It will show. And so to the shepherds, come um, to uh, verse 12. After the angel tells them, I bring you good news. Some versions say great tidings. It's translated as the gospel. The angel gave them the gospel that the savior the deliverer christ the anointed one who is lord above all he is here and he's coming to save a people he says i bring you great news that in the city of david a savior is born for you christ the lord and he says this will be a sign for you 
you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now, it's not uncommon to wrap a baby in claws, but the weird thing is putting the baby in a manger. Verses 6 and 7 said that Mary and Joseph had to put Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. But what was the result of inconvenience became a sign to the shepherds, not only how to find Jesus, but who he truly was. Back in those times, there were special shepherds, Levitical shepherds, that watched over lambs from a tower called uh, Middow Eater. These were lambs that were literally born to die. These were lambs that from conception and from birth wrapped these lambs up in cloths to keep them purified, to keep them clean. Because for a while they were going to run around and play around the hills of Bethlehem, but at some point they were going to be offered as a sacrifice in the temple. These lambs were literally born to die. And so the sign that Jesus being put in the manger is not just, wasn't just a sign for how the shepherds to find them, but it was a sign of what he came here to do, which is die. And the shepherds, being shepherds, would not only recognize, yo, he's in a manger. Oh, my gosh. The connection. He's not just an ordinary child. He's not just a little baby. He's not just a little boy. But this boy, this little boy that was born is truly the Messiah. He has come to die. To not just save us from Roman oppression, but to deliver us from spiritual oppression because of sin. The shepherds, I will bet my money on it would have known and recognized that he's in a manger. As uncommon as that is, that must mean that this baby is born to die. Born to die. And so here we come, here we come, and here we come. So, so, they, so they tell him, this will be a sign. And the heavenly hosts come and join in and say, glory to God in the highest. And so when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. How is this a divine interruption? They was literally chilling, watching the sheep at night, you know what I'm saying? Just watching the skies, watching the stars, and then boom, an angel of the Lord comes in and just says, hey, how you doing? I bring you great news of great tidings. A Savior has been born for you. Has been born for you. Not all divine interruptions will cause immediate, drastic uncomfortability or inconvenience. Not all of them. Some of them will. For Zacharias, I mean, Elizabeth in her old age, that was a huge inconvenience. For Mary and Joseph, that was a huge inconvenience because everybody was going to think that she committed adultery. So it was inconvenient for them. But for the shepherds, it wasn't so much that this interruption was an inconvenience, but an opportunity. It was an opportunity for the shepherds to be a part of history. The angel appeared to them in the fields late at night. They weren't suspecting that they weren't expecting, but he came and he offered them an opportunity to be the first group of people to witness and see the Savior for their own eyes. A lot of his interruptions may cause slight inconvenience, but look at the opportunity. So many times we talk about interruptions, like, God, you interrupted my day, you caused so much inconvenience. Look at the opportunity that he is extending to you. That opportunity that probably would, that people were not counting to give to shepherds, but here the angel of the Lord says, here, 
come find. I will show you how to find this Savior, and you will be the first. The first who I preach the gospel to, the first to see the Savior for yourself. Here is an open invitation. I interrupted your night. Your night of watching sheep, your, wife, your night of clothing sheep, your night of scrubbing sheep. I interrupted your night so that you would have an opportunity that nobody else would to see the Savior for yourself before anybody else. And so the shepherds, they say, yo, we got to get to Bethlehem right now. We got to go see this thing. Verse 16, so they came in a hurry. They wasn't lagging. Well, you know, he a baby. Like, you know. <laughs> we'll go see him in the morning. No, they ran with haste. Because <laughs> why? Because they said, we have to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They recognized that this was no ordinary revelation. This was no ordinary uh, message. This was no ordinary uh, mail. This was a divine message. Divine message requires urgency. They was just like, oh, no, no, no. This is, this is too good to just sit on. We got to go see this thing for ourselves. So even if we got to go leave the sheep, we got to go see the good shepherd. We will cast, we will take the time to leave aside these sheep just for five seconds to go see the good shepherd. So they interrupted. They go with haste to Bethlehem. They find Joseph and Mary and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. You got to understand why they were so excited. They saw the fulfillment of a word. In the same night, they got the word. The same night, the angel tells them, a savior has been born unto you tells them to go see and when they see the child they see the fulfillment of a word in one night what they had been waiting for for years of praying and, and fasting and anticipating the arrival of the Messiah for years what they had been waiting for they went through 400 years of God not speaking and here is the fulfillment right in front of my eyes in one night what they had been waiting for for years, what they probably thought they would never get a chance to do, never get a chance to be, to see, to have, they are there looking at the Savior with their own eyes. And so the Bible says, when they had seen this, they made it known to everybody. They went around and was like, yo, tell me, yo, yo, what we just saw, Christ the Savior has been born. We saw him with our own two eyes. What the Jewish people, what, what we've been waiting for for all these years, he's here. He's here. He is here. The fulfillment of the promise of the scriptures, of the prophets, of the law, he is here. The fulfillment is here. But the Bible says, and all who heard it wondered. They like kind of admired it. But there's a suggestion there, just a suggestion, I'm not adding to the word, but there's a suggestion that they really didn't fully grasp and understand the monumental thing they had just seen. Sometimes, ooh, sometimes when years have gone by without seeing nothing, don't allow the fulfillment to just pass on by. When it happens, rejoice. 
When it happens, celebrate. Don't allow the years of waiting to deter, to decrease the celebration. After all this time of hearing about this Savior, this virgin, of giving birth to a child, he is finally here. And people are wondering, admiring, trying to figure out what this statement is. Could it be someone wasn't paying attention? Could it be that they truly didn't understand, but Mary treasured all these things. To her, it wasn't just, it was, it was a reminder to her of what Gabriel had spoken to her. And to see other people celebrating what she gave birth to brought it, all so, brought it all full circle to her. Mary, you have just given birth to the Savior. And here people are rejoicing. And you had a role in it, Mary. You did. Someone, probably people, you would have never thought you would have been used this way. But you, Mary, oh, favor one, you gave birth to the Savior. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Pastor Dom, the executive pastor here at Transformation Christian Fellowship. And we're asking you to connect your faith with ours as a church by participating in our Only Believe Capital Campaign. Your contribution to our campaign will allow us the opportunity to acquire space and relocate to the Silver Spring area. Currently here in the Clarksville, Maryland area, we have service here at 5, but it's extremely limited. We can only have service at 5. But your contribution to our campaign will allow us the opportunity to relocate to Silver Spring and start our service at an earlier time where more people will be able to come and experience our church and be a part of our Sunday worship experience. Giving to the campaign is really simple. Just go to your phone and text 77977 to TCF1. And under the tab fund, all you have to do is select the Only Believe Capital Campaign. Enter your amount and just click Give. It is that simple. Thank you for partnering with us and believing God for the impossible along with us as a church. And remember, transformation starts We want you to connect your faith with us as we embark on an ambitious capital campaign entitled Only Believe. Support us by playing a part in the next stage of our church's history. And these shepherds, I love this last verse. They said, they went back. They went back. Glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen, just had been told them. See, they didn't, they didn't give up their day jobs. <laughs> Nothing externally changed for them. But they were so, in, they were so energized and fueled with the message that they went back glorifying and praising God. They went back to caring and cleaning sheep as dirty as nasty as it was. They went back to it and they went back completely different people because before they had went there, they came back with something they had never had before. They had witnessed the Savior with their own eyes. They said, Jesus is now here. So now as I go back to my fold, I can wash them a little differently. I can clothe them a little differently. I can care for them a little differently because he has arrived. The shepherd, the good shepherd is here now. I've been doing what I can do externally, but he who will make all things new, he will, who will wash away all sins, he, the ultimate shepherd, is now here. My representative, the one who identifies with the work that I do. See, shepherds, they didn't live in the normal city. They were nomadic. And so they didn't live in the normal city like everybody else because the work that they had to do required them to be separate. So can you imagine being so committed to a job, so committed People not understanding what it takes to do what you do. Yeah. I get it. We all have our grace to do what we do. 
But you can imagine the elation they felt. That Wow. The Savior is here. And us shepherds were the first to see him with our own eyes. But here's the key. With every divine interruption, it is all about your response. Can you imagine if the angel would have came and told him this great news and they was just like, hmm, all right. <laughs> that's nice. That's, that's great. <laughs> we'll see him in a couple days. Your response is what matters. Because had they not taken advantage of this opportunity, they would have missed out. A lot of interruptions. God just wants to favor you in such a way, maybe he'll give you a chance to do something you've never done before, yeah. to see things you've never seen before, to touch things you never touched before, to do things that you've never done before, but you got to allow him to interrupt whatever you think you got going on and not see it as an inconvenience, but see it as an opportunity. This shepherd's role wasn't as grander as giving birth to John the Baptist. It wasn't as grander as giving birth to the Savior, but they still had a role, a monumental role in the account of Jesus. How do I know that? Because we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. They had a major role. They were not only the first to see him, they were the first to preach the gospel. They were the first to announce the arrival of the Savior. They were the first. They were the first. They were the first. I'm so grateful that Luke included him in this gospel. Because if not, we wouldn't have known about these shepherds. Matthew didn't talk about them. Mark and John didn't talk about them. So I'm grateful for Luke, who looked at these shepherds. And of course, the, the Bible is divinely inspired, absolutely. But the gospels in themselves are different. The synoptic gospels, they all come from different perspectives. But I'm grateful that this account is here to show you that the beauty of the gospel is that it is for everybody, that he will use any and everybody to deliver it to. And the beauty of the gospel is this, 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation, and unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty so that the grander and surpassing greatness of the power will be shown from God and not from ourselves. See, it doesn't matter what you really do. It doesn't matter what your social status is. The fact that he will put his gospel taken from heaven, the fact that he will put it in human vessels like us, unworthy, undeserving, the fact that he will put it in us and allow his light to shine through us is a privilege. But don't discount where you come from either. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 30 Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, the things that are, so that no human being will boast. So if you're in this room and you're watching on camera, you feel like I'm not worthy to carry the gospel. That I don't have the status, I don't have the education, I don't have it. What does that matter? Because according to society standards, you may be low, you may be despised, but he's choosing what is low and despised to shame the people that think that they got it all together. He's choosing the people that people have counted out to show them the greatness and the grandeur of our God. And how, how fickle and futile our standards are. 
This is the gospel. Nobody is worthy. Nobody is worthy to receive. Nobody is worthy to carry. Nobody is worthy to preach it. But he put it in human vessels to show how great he is. To show how he can transform an earthen weak vessel like me. That is the beauty of this gospel message. So he put it, he gave the first announcement to a group of shepherds. And they jumped up and down and was excited. Because in one night, they received a word and saw it fulfilled. And they went back to the fold, never the same again. Went back to care for the sheep, but internally, they were never the same again. Allow yourself to be interrupted. Because God has a plan. I know it's so cliche, but I'm so dead serious. God has a role for you to play in his purpose. And it doesn't matter how small it looks to the people on the outside. It does not matter how insignificant you may be to the outside. It's big to him. And if, all this, if this world is fading away, but his word will never fade away, his word will never fade away. The shepherds are in his word. <laughs> so if his word will never fade away, but it's, this world will pass away, what does it matter about how what they think? Am I worthy enough to carry the gospel? Am I worthy enough to preach it? Am I educated enough to preach it? Am I filled enough and all this other stuff to preach it? He chose me. He identifies with me. As a shepherd, he knows what I go through. Dominique, who do you shepherd? <laughs> See, a lot of people in the position don't have the heart. You may have the position, the, the title, and all of that. But he says the real shepherds have the heart for them. We so busy running around. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But we got sheep out here, y'all, that are wandering. They don't know where to go. They're walking around wounded. And we're spending too much time trying to promote self. And we got sheep out here with nobody to shepherd them. We got people in churches want to commit suicide because of sexual identity and, and, and drug use and all these other things. And we folks so focused on about promoting self. What about the sheep? What about them? Who's going to walk them through deliverance? Who's going to disciple them? Who's going to be there for them? You don't have to invite me to no church to preach. I don't care about that. Show me the sheep. I will, in his strength, I will point them back to him. I will care for them. I will do whatever it is he wants me to do with them. I don't need this. I don't need the titles. I don't need the notoriety. Show me the sheep. Show them to me. Show them to me. Because you know what they say about church people? Y'all judgment. Y'all never want to hurt, help nobody. I want to know why you smoke me. I want to know why you watch a pornography. I want to know why you do the things you do. I want to know why you get drunk. I want to know. I want to know. So I can introduce you to a person who can mend your broken heart, who can heal the root of the issue so you don't have to do the things of the flesh anymore. Show me the sheep. Show them to me. 
the shepherd's man. Awesome, awesome man of God. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about some shepherds. I don't call them lowly anymore. These jokers ain't lowly to me. These men right here, I esteem them. I celebrate them. I rejoice in them. What the world called lowly and dirty and stinky, God used them to be the first among many to preach his good news. And although we've never heard of them before, their testimony, his word going out to the word, and it will never die, we're still talking about them to this day. So what they did left a long-lasting legacy for everybody. Because they responded and said, we're going to see the king. And because he's here, we got joy unspeakable. Anybody excited that he's here? I know that you weren't there, but he's here. The deliverer is here. The one who sets free is here. The one who binds all wounds is here. The one who mends broke his heart, he is here. He has arrived. He is here. He is alive. He's present. He is God with us. Hallelujah. He is here. That's why we celebrate this season, y'all, because he's here. He came through 42 generations. We celebrate because he's here. He's here. He's here. Hope is here. Joy is here. Freedom is here. Deliverance is here. All of it is here because he is here. He's here. Alive and well. Died, but he rose. Rose and he ascended. He is alive and well, and he's interceding on our behalf. The good shepherd is here. He's here. God with us. Come on, celebrate the king. Celebrate that he's here. Celebrate that he's alive. Celebrate that he's come to mend your broken heart. Celebrate him tonight. Celebrate that the king is here. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. The king is here. He is here. your name. You are here. You are here among us. You are here among the people called TCM. You are here. You are here. You are here.